This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin. Today we have got a story of survival and an exemplar, I think, of a positive approach to life. Lucky Hawkins is a learner of mine undertaking the Doctor of Professional Practice at Capable New Zealand. And last week I got a letter from her that said, wow, what a week. Indeed, what a week. Lucky has survived the floods in Wairoa, perhaps only just. And here she tells us about that experience. The other voice you'll hear is that of Dr. Ruth Myers, Lucky's other academic mentor. Having a little bit of normality. Yeah, it's actually really good to um, have like a a mental health day. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, my house is totally gone. Um, We're just trying to salvage what we can and try and walk away with some some dignity. But um, But did it come through in a rush? It did. This is the disappointing thing. Um, apparently, the, it breached the banks of the river at six o'clock in the morning, but they didn't tell anyone. So the water actually came through our house. The, the horn went off at 15 minutes past eight, and by 8.30, it was up to the door handle on my little truck. Oh, my goodness. So it happened in 15 minutes. And when the horn went off, we saw the water going past at first, and it was actually quite slow. And I thought, well, hang on, I think they've just let one of the overflows go down the road because it was actually, it was probably only ankle deep. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And within 10 minutes, it was up to, probably less than 10 minutes, it was up to our knees inside and up to our waist in 15 minutes. And by 20 minutes when we were going, we we were floating on my car. Wow. Down the road. Because where we live, we live right by the river. So we were right in the pathway of it going back to the river. So it actually re-diverted through our house. And there was no stopping it. You know, at first we thought, oh, this is quite interesting. We had the door blocked and, you know, thinking it's really, really slow. It actually had no momentum. Nothing was going past just a slow little, well, I wouldn't say trickle, but flow. Um, But then it it, it certainly found its momentum. And, yeah, within 15 minutes, it was really, really hard to walk, like to wade through it. Mm. What was the high ground to get to? Funny enough, I I had to go to the bridge, the same bridge that they rebuilt after Cyclone Bowler. So we were the last ones out of North Clyde, apparently, 
And when we went, so we followed the river, we had to follow the flow and I could see a log and of course I'm panicking, my mum's panicking, she's deaf. And I saw a log there and I thought, hang on, I'm going to be able to get some friction on the tyres there. And I did, I saw a log, I, I drove over it and I just, just got enough friction to be able to turn left. So yeah, we got out and we were the last car out of the North Clyde area. Are you on the north side of Wairau? Yeah, so um, the other side is Napier Hastings, and yeah. we're on the Gisborne side. Okay. So 90% of that, that area there is flooded, well, was flooded. The, the water's definitely gone, but the silt's still inside. Wow. And it's um it's quite funny. I just received an email. So I was leasing the place that I was in, lease slash live-in caretaker, um, and she's just asked for the keys after a week so she can go and clean her things out. And I'm thinking, <laughs> really? Are you kidding me, lady? You mm. know, and I said to her, so for a start, I've been over to see you, you know, on the first day to tell you, advise, you know, it, it's stuffed. Um, she, and I said, you wouldn't have any rubbish bags, would you? She said, oh, I've got nothing to give you. You know, the, the lease money had gone out. And a week later, she's asking for the keys so she can sort herself out. I'm thinking, nah, nah, you're not getting the keys back. And I've paid the lease until for another month. So um, I'll take my time, I think. Yeah. Wow. How high did it get inside the house? Um, Not quite waist deep. So she was saying to me, and I said to her, I have actually been to see the electrician because we live across the road from an electrician. And I said to him, so I believe the power's on. Can you come and have a quick look to see if we should try and put the power back on? As soon as he came in and he saw the low-lying power points, he said, absolutely not. Turn the power off. Well, you know, don't turn it on at all. Cut, cut the power off. And I said, what do you mean cut it off? He said, actually get it disconnected so you're not paying for it. You won't be able to turn the power on because there'll be mud and silt in the electrical wiring. He said, oh, if yeah. you turn it back on, this place is going to go up like a tinderbox. Oh, yeah. Wow. So all the electricals that were on the floor and that, we're, we're throwing those out and luckily we don't have to pay for dumping. Beds, couches, all of that stuff's all gone. But luckily enough, the stuff that was hanging like clothes and wardrobes, we've saved all that. And um, TVs and, yeah, yeah. It, it's just amazing how these are the two words that have come out of this whole thing. Resilience and resourcefulness, if that's even a word. Resilience. <laughs> Our town is amazing. I'm I'm absolutely amazed. And I said to Mum, Well, Mum, I'll come back to Gisborne, so I'm gonna live in Gisborne until we sort things out and probably move back closer towards the end of the year. Definitely not there. Um, because that, that's the second time that area is actually flooded. And I found out why. Where it actually breached, that's where the original Wairau River used to go through. Mm -hmm. So they actually re-diverted it. And, of course, in times of stress and, you know, pressure on the land, what's it going to do? It's going to go back to what it originally was, which is North Clyde. So it flooded in Bowler. It flooded again um, yeah. in Gabriel. It's gonna. It's definitely gonna flood again. You know, and no one can say that that's gonna happen in 20 years or five years, two years. No one yeah. knows that. So um, yeah, why would you? Why would we stay there? So did you have somewhere mm. to go and stay immediately? No, we were in um, 
they had the war memorial hall set up. So we stayed there for about oh, two, yeah, three days. And that was somewhere to stay, but no showers. And they ended up closing that after a week because there were about 400 people there and there were just, like, health and safety-wise, not enough resources. Mm-hmm. So I think in total they said there's 1,000 a, a people in different marae. So um, definitely not the 4,000 that, that there were originally, but a lot of people have are starting to move away until they can, I don't know what you call it, digest digest what's going on but we we consider ourselves very lucky because if you look at poor old Napier they've still got people unaccounted for you know Mm -hmm. they're they're finding bodies washed up I think they found three so far and there's still 14 people unaccounted for it certainly makes you put things into perspective what's really important it was cut off wasn't it yes they've got they got petrol back yesterday, um, access to petrol yesterday. Um, power was about two days ago. Yeah. Uh, cell phone signal two days ago and internet reception two days ago. So they were cut off for, what's that, five days? So were you getting and, messages about what was happening in other places? No, only from the news when the power came on. There was nothing. It was like darkness. The only way that you could get any information was from people, but they had the same information that you had anyway, which was nothing. So that's probably the worst thing out of this whole situation is being cut off the the emotional impacts, mm. like the, the physical impacts, the having no house, having nowhere to go, even having no food, but not being able to contact other people emotionally is probably what I've realised is the most significant outcome in this whole thing. Yeah, it's amazing. It's just so amazing how resilient people are and how, on the flip side of the coin, how opportunistic other people are. You know, in extreme times of pressure and stress, some people are just so amazing and they show their true selves in everything that they are, which is, you know, good, kind, sharing. And then on the flip side of the coin, how other people are opportunistic. And that's why we're going back daily. Our first two trips were chain up everything outside that they can take. They were already looting on the third day. Um, and cars were getting broken into for their petrol by day, yeah, day four. So you go from one extreme to the, to, to the absolute next I really did enjoy your email the other day, Sam. When I read it, it sort of brought a smile to my face and I thought there's so many learnings from this experience. And um, one thing that I will admit, I did put my study aside for the first year. I, I did. There were so many times where I, I should have carried on and and um, persevered, but I did. I put it to the side, but I know just how important it is. I really do. This is this is all part of the journey. Everything, yeah, everything that's happening, it's all part of the journey. I just didn't know where the journey, what what the journey was, but I've definitely got a little bit more clarity now. Believe me, definitely. A couple of things, almost logistical things. Where did the food come from that you're eating for the first week? Um, so we took everything that we had. It, we were going back backwards and forwards to the house because we knew there was no power and we had just brought $500 worth of steak from the meatworks. So we took all of that. We took everything that we had. We had two freezerfuls of food, two fridgefuls of food because we were getting ready for my brother's unveiling. So I said to mum, 
we're not going to waste that food. So we took all of that. Because they had shut the supermarket and it was a civil defence um, state of emergency, the council went and pretty much brought everything at New World and they were truckloading it to the War Memorial and to all the oh, different okay, yeah. So they had no access for public but just for the council. Yeah. And not having connections, it meant people didn't have access to money. No did money. It, did it develop a barter system real quick or, or were you just weren't able to buy anything? Was there nothing to buy anyway? Um, I think probably for the first two days it wasn't too bad because it was sort of like not a novelty and it certainly wasn't fun, but people weren't, it wasn't processed. They hadn't really had time, so they were running on not thinking, if that makes sense. So they were still spending what they had as though things were normal. And, and I'd, I'd probably admit that we were going we were going and buying an ice cream and going and sitting down at the beach and, and a cold drink just to have mental health time, when in reality we probably should have saved the cash for petrol or whatever, but we weren't, we weren't thinking. We were just surviving. And for, for mum and I, um, survival at that time wasn't our physical well-being. We kind of knew that that was okay because we were out of there. Um, and we knew that we had food because we had it all at the War Memorial. Our, my thing then was if we're not okay, mum and I aren't okay mentally, none of it matters. Nothing matters because if we're not okay, it's all going to fall apart anyway. So I, I've learned a lot because I'm quite an emotional person I'm very emo I get emotionally invested and I always saw that as a weakness um I really did and I've I've had depression three times in my life but very severe depression and I think going through this because I have been through that I now know it's, it's not a weakness that you can flip that and making sure that I, I said that to mum too I said mum I can't lose it you know I can't go can't go back there. So whatever we were doing, whether it was an ice cream or whether it was a cold drink and going down to the beach and just sitting down there looking at the beach for two hours, if that's what we needed to do, that at that time was our priority, was making sure that we were okay up, up there. So huge, huge lessons. And um, I'm actually really grateful for this as well. Even being able to just talk and offload a little bit while we were down there, thinking about what's really important. Um, I said to mum as well, the whole working remotely from Wairo, it, it was such a great idea. You know, I thought, wow, this is wonderful. It actually wasn't because I was so disconnected from work. I'm so happy to be here today, you know, <laughs> talking to people, having anyone to talk to, really, mm -hmm. anyone. It's it, someone to talk to, having um, an office at work getting away from, you know, home and, and away from all of that stuff and distancing myself. Uh, yeah, it's it's life changing. So positives that came out of the flood, we're moving out of a place with an with a landlord that really was just in there for the money and for someone to clean it up. So not a big thing, but for me, it, it's sort of like okay, well you're not getting any more money from us. Uh, the second thing is I'm moving back into my mum's home, which is much more comfortable for her because I didn't want to. I didn't want to move back to Gisborne. I was trying to maintain and hold on to a life that I had built in Wairoa for the last 10 years. And this has made me think, what was I really holding on to? I can still do 
what I was doing at Wairo, but probably even more effectively because I'll be in a better space, better better housing. Uh, I won't have that extra role of caretaking this ginormous building. I won't have that. We won't have that job anymore. We'll just have my mum's place. I'll have a better workspace and access to, to facilities at work. I'll have access to vehicles. I could drive back there every day if I wanted to. You know, I can still maintain all of my voluntary roles and my roles in Wairo, but I think moving to Gisborne is is, is the best, or absolutely is the best for everything that I do. Mm. So your your truck survived its swimming exercise? Yeah, I had to take it to the garage, and he said, well, if you've been driving it around for two days, it's okay. Yeah, and I said, oh, well, that's good. Mum's car didn't come out too well. She's got one of those little old people wagons, those Nissan Note, a little square car. Yeah, no, that that went up to the steering wheel. So, yeah, we didn't start her car. We just thought, well, I'll tow it to the garage in due course. But at this point, it's not really a priority. She's she's insured, so that's okay. But yeah, prioritising, that's another really, really important word, prioritising what really is important, but the, the necessities and basics of life, I was thinking about Maslow's pyramid, but um, an inverted one, and oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's what you said, you said best thing is out of this or something is that, you know, mum and I are together or something like that. Yeah, definitely, so um, thinking about something like that, I thought, wow. Isn't it funny when you're, you're forced to make decisions, how um, things become so clear, you get clarity. Not at first, of course, this took two days of just looking into nothing, looking in at the beach and not talking. That was probably a really another good coping mechanism that we um, discussed slash didn't discuss was just sitting there quiet and not talking. That was probably another really good coping mechanism. And I think all of these little lessons that I've learned, I can absolutely relate to every other thing that I do in my life. Um, It's been good. And I know that sounds really funny. It's been really, really um, good for me to have gone through this. Mm. Yeah. So what's next for you? Your your mum's got a house in Gisborne. Yes. So we're... (laughs) I'd probably say it would take another maybe two weeks just to clear out what we've got there. And that's just doing little bits by little bits, maybe even less. And, every, you know, everyone said, oh, you know, why don't you just leave it, just walk away? And I said, for, for mine and my mother's dignity, we can't do that. You know, no way would I do that. And I'm not saying we're going to clean it up to a point where it was before because it's had it anyway. But all I mean is to clean out our rubbish, you know, all our beds, um, all of our couches, we've got four fridges, put that all out because it's all free dumping, you know, why would we just leave that there for somebody else? So just for our dignity, we're going to take everything that we have, make sure it's either dumped or removed, and then come back to Gisborne, which is quite a fluid transition because mum's house is all finished, three-bedroom house, so we're we're considering ourselves very lucky. Yeah, because there must be lots of people that haven't got places to go. No, there's a thousand people living in Marae. So that's, I think, 10, 10 different Marae they're, they're living in. I do absolutely think they'll go back to their homes. 
because a lot of the homes there, what I found out, they're all generational homes. So they've just been handed down and handed down and handed down. So and in that sense, they're not going to give that up. Whether they bulldoze the house and, and rebuild, but they're they're not going to move away. We I kind you know I'm I consider myself lucky I have that luxury away yeah. for for a year and then we'll t- until the end of the year and go back and just commute. A lot of good has come out of this. The decision to come back now rather than I was thinking of coming back next year, but the decision to come back now has been made for us. So um yeah, work work's good too. Work and study are balance is going to be good mm. so what's happening with work is there still teaching going on there or is that entirely on hold no so i believe we're getting a decision um tomorrow as to what we're going to do but i all of our wider courses are going to be deferred until july um i made that decision and i told my manager yesterday i said there's no way that those courses can go ahead because they were marae based and those marae will be housing people for who knows how long it could be the next six months so those can't go ahead. And any and all resources that are in Wairau are for absolute basic needs, not to, you know, run a course. So Wairau's out, but I believe what they're going to do with the Gisborne courses as well, um, they're going to delay starts. But in saying that, that would only be two weeks. My my concern there, um, what I said to Kerry, is the retention rates are going to be very, very low if they do continue. Um, Accessibility to the campus for students is probably one township is gone in in Gisborne. The whole township is red stickered. So I don't don't actually even think they have access to town yet. I don't know how people are getting out there. I think it might be over a farm. I'm not too sure. But um, the other thing that people forget as well just because they don't live in this in that town that's all red stickered it doesn't mean that people in town aren't affected because you know that that's their families that's their families homes they could be boating across or however they're getting there to help them so everybody is affected in some way or another and it's not you you can't just say okay just because they're not right in the thick of it that they're not affected different people have different ways of dealing with these sorts of pressures, and my courses in Wider will be deferred until July. Mm. And I, I made that decision. Have you managed to get out or hear from your home, Marifa? It is Waihua, isn't it? Yes, yes, I have. They're a civil defence site. Okay, perfect. Yeah, and they're actually doing really well. So um, when we got on Facebook, they set up photos and that of them. Because I actually said to Mum, when we first got flooded, I said, Mum, we should go out there. And what she was worried about is if the bridge washed away, we wouldn't be able to get back to Gisborne at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we made the decision to stay in town. And we were the first people out of Wairau, believe it or not. So after two days of staying in the um, at the War Memorial, I, I knew that my mum wasn't doing too well and she needed to go home. So the little things like having a shower, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it might sound silly, but the the mud, the water, the flood waters, oh it wasn't just water, it was sewage and it was it, it cut through the showgrounds, animals, you know, and chemicals, and it was itching and it was frustrating and there was nowhere to wash it off. And on the third day, I said to my mum, we're going home, we're going back to Gisborne. And I knew of my friend, so we knew where it was blocked. There were 
maybe eight smaller slips, but we knew where it was completely blocked, which is the Mōrere Hill. Um, when we got up there, that's exactly where the farm was that my friend owns. And she said, how are we going to get through? I said, we're going to go to the farm and we're going to go through their farm. We'll get them to take us on a tractor around the back and we'll borrow one of their horses and we'll ride it back to Gisborne. <laughs> and she said, okay, because we can both ride. <laughs> Mum and I can both ride a horse. So, so um, and she said, will they give the horse? I said, yeah, of course they will. So that was our plan. I know it might sound dramatic, but we were going. Um, we got to the top of the Mōrere Hill. Lo and behold, my cousin, who's a road worker, driving trucks and tractors and diggers, was there. And they saw Mum and they said to me, and they know what I'm like, you're going to go, aren't you? And I said, I am. I'm taking Mum home. And he said, do you think you can wait two hours? And I said, yes. He said, OK, if they clear one tree, he actually pulled me through on a digger on oh. my little car. I know, probably not the wisest decision, but, um, yeah, better than having to go and catch the horse in a bloody flood and, and ride <laughs> through. So, um, yeah, we got through. I stopped at my boss's house, uh, our manager's house on the way, and, of course, she was, you know, wide-eyed, possum-wide. She was looking at me, what are you doing here? How did you get through? I said, you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we got through, and it was it was so great to get back to my mum's and you wouldn't believe it, my phone was pinging. I had cell phone reception. Mm. We couldn't believe it. Turn the tap on and there's water and there's power and it's been wonderful. Mm. You know, TV, just the things that really aren't important but are. So, yeah, other than that, I'm, I'm actually really good. Just We just want to get what we can out of Wairau and try and mm. come back to normality in Gisborne and, and get on with it. Is the forestry slash getting the blame in Wairoa like everywhere else? Definitely, yeah. It's still almost at the top of the Wairoa River. So all the Gizzy, all the Gisborne rivers, yeah, slash everywhere. But, yeah, no, it's not good. And that's what took out half of Tolaga Bay up the coast. So the slash came down and I think it wiped out eight houses. Like com- completely gone, totally gone. Wow. Yeah. So now it's... um. It's not good. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. This is a special edition of Blowing Bubbles. Ruth Myers and I are talking with Lucky Hawkins from Wairoa. Mm. And you down south, how, how did you get affected? Hot and sunny. <laughs> 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 no, really? <laughs> Is it really? Yeah, it's, it's been raining overnight. Um, but First real rain first, in weeks. It's mm. been, our hills have been going yellow and just the opposite, really, you know, and quite dry. Oh, dry you poor air. things. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny? We live in the same country and yeah. it's just the total opposite. And we've unfortunately from supposed to be from now actually until Saturday we've got a heavy rain warning 
warnings for Gisborne and Hawke's Bay. So kind of really not what we needed. Um, we've got a little plan, Mum and I. So Mum and I are getting our personal things out. That's probably only another one or two loads. And to get to our back door, we're, we're going to get a digger because we can't get to it, which is the big door to get every all the big stuff out. Um, we need a digger to dig a pathway. So it's probably only up to your knees, but you you know you imagine trying to bring anything out of that. It's not you're not. Mm. Yeah. So that's our plan is to cut a doorway, get our stuff out. But um, for me, positive wise, um, I think this is a really good thing for me. It is. Yeah, I can't really explain. I, I think I have explained why, haven't mm. I? Yeah. You know how the whole thing that started your work is the community under stress or damaged community that sort of stuff Mm. and so your work is about how can we turn that around do you think that this event has brought new things to the surface or is it the same stuff just ramped up a bit in terms of the problems that in the community or of the community um i definitely for myself it has definitely brought things up for me because now not only did I hear about it and think about how resourceful our town was and the closeness and, and, and networks and you know all of those sorts of good things not not only did I hear and know about it I've seen it so it, it actually makes it more real now I've actually seen for myself just what people in Wairau are like you know and in small communities I, th- I think I can it's definitely more uh, relatable for me now I can I have a, uh, a first-hand view and all it really was was people going around to other people's houses with overalls with spades with food it was quite overwhelming actually you know we're packing and people will just turn up see if we want anything bring food bring water no questions asked they don't even they know you don't want to talk and they'll just drop it off and go and it was awesome it really was but I'd really like to see how how we can continue because I believe the gorge is closed again there's another slip so our access way to the outside world is either Napier, which is totally stuffed. So that's gone for however long. So two bridges have washed away. So that could take months and months before we can go that way. So our other access way is to go through the Gisborne um, and the Wairaweka Gorge. And I've heard that that's just closed again. So we're going to be somewhat stressed again. And I'd really like to see how our community comes out of this. Do you think that that sense of helping people without question and just doing what needs doing, do you think that's going to stick? I think it'll die off when people think that other people are okay. So for the first five days that we were doing what we were doing at at the unit, you know, we were inundated with people coming over. And I think once people think that oh they're okay now they're just they're maintaining or they're managing it will it will die off. People will think okay well let's go back to trying to find our normal. Yeah. And I think it was people helping with other people's urgent emergency needs if that makes sense. And once they see okay they what they think is okay it'll back off. Will it last? I don't think so, because people will try and get back to their normal. 
And I also think once things start to get more pressured, that Gisborne Road will be getting hit. And I think it will, with this rain, if people keep using it, it's it's probably going to wash away sooner or later because it's not flash. That's why you kind of have to have a four-wheel drive. So um, they're pumping, there's a, a what was a pond there, they're pumping that out right next to a slip. And I think if that fills up again, that, that river, that little creek, that part there in the road, which is probably about 50 metres, it will go. And that's what I said to mum, I'm worried about. I don't want to keep going back to Wairau so much and that washes away and we're stuck there. That would be the worst. The, the three other elements that we haven't even, I haven't sort of discussed, my animals are in emergency care as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was really happy there. Um, they're being housed at one of the local vets. So my sort of pre-planning there was wonderful. I've, I've had an account at the vet for years and it's like $10 a fortnight I pay to them for whatever. So um, I rang them and I said, oh, look, we've, we've got no house anymore. Can we board them there and um yes i've got my turtle and two dogs and (laughs) and even not having the dog sitting in the car who were just panicking and being all erratic in the two days that we were at at the emergency center was great you know having them being looked after and whatever that was that's where we were able to start looking after ourselves Mm. yeah but no one we're good we're actually really good. Going and spending time at the beach and that notion of just doing stuff, you don't need to talk about it. I don't know that that's on the civil defence instructions. I don't think it's anywhere there. <laughs> but how did you know to do that? Or was it was an obvious thing that you and your mum needed to do, so you did it? No, I, I don't know. Um, I think at that point we knew not to say anything to upset one another. And we knew not to say anything that wasn't going to help the situation. I think we knew the absolute basics, which was don't say anything negative or don't say anything that could upset the situation. So we didn't really have anything good to say to to each other right Mm. then and there. So we just didn't talk. And I'll tell you what, it it was great. It was really good. And then we'll just look at each other and not say a single word and just continue not saying anything Mm. and it was really good and then I'd start the car up would go for another little drive really going nowhere we weren't going anywhere because there was nowhere to go but it was just the whole exercise of okay we've had quiet time we're going to go for a drive and go and feed our eyes with different with a different scenery and and we were rubbernecking, which I hate rubberneckers. I, re- I really can't stand them. I just think they're nosy and, you know, go and mind your own business. But we were rubbernecking and I felt quite embarrassed about it. I said, Mum, we're rubberneckers. And she said, well, yeah, OK, we're having a look at, at what's happening. But I said, no, you can't candy coat it. We're rubberneckers. So, um, but it was sort of like just changing from... I think it was changing physically from going from quiet time at the beach to driving around and looking at, not so much looking at other people, what they're going through, it was just changing the scene. Mm, changing the scene and knowing it's time to talk now. So, um, yeah, I didn't even think of that. We were talking while we were driving about anything but our situation. So, 
oh wow look at the bridge it's it went over there and it went over there so I suppose um talking about anything but our situation was a coping mechanism as well until the time actually came you know two days later that we did actually need to go back and I decided I said okay we're going to go and have a look and we knew that the bridge had opened so we did we went over and there were people at the engineers across the road we stopped and it didn't look too bad from the outside and once we opened the door the water came out was it like a cartoon open the door and the water came out exactly so it was pretty hard to open you sort of had to you know i had to lean right against the door and push it open and the front half is it so bad? We've probably got most of it out in the first two days, but um, yeah, I'm really happy with what we've saved. Mm. So you've got like family photos and that sort of stuff out? No, no, but that stuff was all still in boxes on the floor because it's not oh. our house, so we didn't hang anything. But those are okay because you've got the internet now, so you can even an old photo or something you can just get it restored. Mm. Yeah, you know, I think the first word on the email you sent me was wow wow what a week i think you said <laughs> i think wow's a good description and i know that the, the description would change for the different days mm. like did it go from being i would imagine it would go from being like that sort of high adrenaline and then surreal or what was the sort of like the flow of that experience i understand the question you're asking so the like the emotional changes yeah um disbelief was the first like confused you know not knowing in 10 minutes um going from a a steady stream to practically um was it a creek what's what's it was it was a river Mm. yeah so going from a stream which seemed quite nice to watch going past on the road to it being inside your house within 10 to 15 minutes you went from wow to wow (laughs) to to, you know from from oh that's pretty and nice to look at on the outside but once it's inside your house it's you're confronted Mm. yeah you're confronted and you're confused and you really do have to think really fast but I don't think we actually digested it until day two and on day two, when I was when we were sort of coming down, you know, a, a little bit, I was just driving and this, I, I just cried for like three seconds and then snapped myself out of it and I just started to kind of lose it and I said no, 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 no. I said in my head, no, you don't have time for this. We, we, you know, we haven't even started. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I did. I just no, I just stopped, dried my eyes and said I'm okay, mum, and we just carried on. Yeah, but coming away, um, so yeah, went from confronted, uh, and that's a really good analogy actually. When I saw it outside, it was quite an interesting, pretty little stream flowing past the house. Within 15 to 20 minutes, once it's inside your house and it absolutely affects you physically, I was so confronted and confused that that's when you go into, I think that's the adrenaline, you're like, you're pumping. And it continued on like that for a day. Then we were just self-managing, I think you call it, self-care, self-wellness. And then by day two, it it starts to digest. 
then when you go back and you see it, it makes it real when we actually saw what it had done to the house. And then we started to convince ourselves it's just stuff. It doesn't matter. You know, we're just walking through. It's just it's just things, you know. It, it's, um, it's nothing that can't be replaced and we're okay. And all we were thinking is let's get out of here. And we knew we couldn't. So being trapped, that was probably frustrating. Mm. We visited the um, in Hawaii. We went to a place where the, the active volcano was, and however close we got to the volcano, which was like doing a slow, like literally going through and burning people's houses. Oh. When we were in other places in on that island, it was very much, oh no, that's not happening here. It's happening over there, and mm. it's happening over there. Other you know, was was something which happened right up to, right where we went to see the actual lava. There was somebody watering his lawn beside the lava flow and you got the feeling if you had asked him you seem to be living beside a live volcano he would have said oh no it's over there yeah whereas the, when the water came into your house it, it shifts isn't it too when it's when you're describing when it was but there's still I'm, I'm still hearing an element of there's other people in, in more trouble there's people there's places with people missing and that sort of stuff mm. i wonder if that's an important part of that coping mechanism to just to, to pull out the the positives and, and almost to use other people to to help prop up your positive. Especially oh, when it absolutely is. It absolutely mm. is. And it's not about um you you have to at some point you ha- there has to be a certain element of humanity when you think their absolute basic needs of life, which is to be alive, have gone and they've been stripped of that. And not only that, we've all faced death and we know what their families will be thinking and feeling as well. So the absolute basics of 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 living, when they're taken away, it's um it, it means so much more than than what we have, which is oh we've lost some beds and we've lost a couple of fridges and whatnot. It really does not seem important mm-hmm. at all. You you reprioritize. That's a yet, really yet, big yet, thing. Yet a week before, mm. you would have defended those beds in that fridge. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, and we do. You know, we were. Every time we went, um, you know, if we were out the front, we would lock the back. If we were out the back, we'd lock the front because we don't want people to go in and, and touch what we have or, or whatever. But, yeah, the, there's such a big shift, isn't there? Then it just becomes things. Who cares? Do you think that there's things that we can learn from this or that you've learned from this in terms of those insights you talked about, resilience and resourceful, and another word, which I've forgotten what it was. Was it just positive? Resourceful. Do you think that you can apply those things to the the longer-term community development, whether it's recovery or it's the, the longer-term stuff that you were working on before? Do you think those lessons help? I definitely do think they do. I think another word, which I don't even know that it is a real word, is reprioritizing. Is is that mm. a word? Um, yeah. I think that's a really, really important thing because I think with myself, when I have a really good idea, it is the only idea. You know, I'm so I've got such a one track mind sometimes, and I, for the life of me, can't understand when I when I'm selling an idea, I've already sold it to myself, and when I'm selling it to somebody else, and they don't instantly grab onto it with 100% gusto, I'm thinking, why? Mm-hmm. You know, because people prioritise and reprioritise things in a totally different way. Now that I've been through this, I think 
Yeah, I really do have to reprioritize the way that I think. And just because I think this is the best idea since sliced bread, it doesn't mean that they do too. And it's such an easy thing to say that I am well-rounded and I think, okay, look at it from that angle. But I don't. I'll, I'll be honest. When I think something is great, I think it is the best thing ever. And I'll hold on to that for dear life. I really will by the teeth if I have to and fight hammers and tongs because I think it is I have convinced myself 100%. So I'm going to use that as, I don't know, some sort of frame to say, yes, it is a good idea, but in the right situation. Getting adequate buy-in from the right people, I think, is, is another really good learning lesson here. Going to my upline and doing those sorts of things, getting buy-in for the people who actually can make things happen, can instigate the change, which is something that I've always wanted to do myself in this role. I've convinced myself and told myself, probably on at least five occasions, this isn't the job for me. I can't do what I wanted to do, which is create change. But now I know I can. Mm. I'm just not going about it the right way. Mm. I have this great idea and I want to do it how I want to do it, but that's not the way you do it. Mm. Have you seen examples of good leadership, community leadership or anything else during this that you thought, oh, um, that's good, I'm going to put that in my pocket, I'll, I can use that? In Wairau, probably not, not one clear person or one clear situation because everybody's so scattered and we haven't really been in one place long enough to see one sort of stand standout person, if that makes sense. So even at the emergency centre, within a day, there were 10 different people doing 10 different things, changing 10 different roles. So not one sort of standout situation. There is really no clear pathway there. They have the council and you go in and you're so confused, you ask one person and there's six people answering the question and, you know, you're, you're turning around you're thinking, yeah. that, that's how I was. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And not one of them gave me the answer, which was, you know, and so I didn't snap, I just said, so who out of you ladies, which one of you actually has the answer or can help me? And then they all backed off because none of them could. And it was actually a little old lady sitting right beside them, behind them not saying a word. So sometimes finding out the right person is probably the, the most important thing. Otherwise, you're just getting so many mixed messages that aren't actually helpful. They're not helping the situation. They're making it worse. So you've had a shower, probably yes. more than one shower. You've got food. <laughs> you've got a roof. The water's not coming through, but there's still so much to do. And now you're sitting in a nice, clean office. Are you able to switch your head into work mode or is it still doing that spinning, prioritising of what to do this? I've got to go and get those sofas and get those. And Is it OK to be still in that space or are you somehow partitioning it? I'm reprioritising. So I'm only mm -hmm. doing the things that are absolutely necessary at work and still doing my own personal stuff as well. So I'm planning my day and doing my absolute have to do at work and utilising our resources here to, to sort of plan stuff that I need to do there. All I really want to do in Wairau is to clean it out and come away so that I can focus on work and study and know that that's going to be okay and we'll go back every weekend to see what we can do to help other people and 
and whatnots. But I think I think very soon they'll probably have a community meeting of some sort. I think that's probably the best way that I could contribute at this point, not physically being there, is to go to that meeting and hear what people need, want, what what they want things to look like going forward. I mean, in in reality, Mum and I can't do much to help anyone there at the moment. We, we don't have the physical strength because we we've just got enough to to move out our stuff. I've got this little green cart from Bunnings, and you will be amazed what I can move on that thing. Because <laughs> it's got removable sides, so I can actually put a whole couch on there and wow. drag it out. You know, yeah. it's 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 dragged, but. So I'm moving all um, a fridge, you know, big stand-up fridge, one of those red trolley jack things that you can tip tip things back. I'm I'm moving all of those things out to the curbside, and yeah, it just it, it feels good to clear one room and go to the next and go to the next. But um, yeah, yeah, we're we're good. This is this is good. This is a good good thing for me and our family. Mm. And my mum, yeah. It's so good to hear you, and it's so good to hear you with this. This we've always seen this positive. I can, we can change this, mm. or we we can make this better. And it's so good that that's still there and has been important to you. I'm actually really determined. I said to Mum, we talked about it this morning actually before I came to work. I said, Mum, I can see so many good things coming out of this. Being able to um, socialising was such a big thing for me that I lost when I had the remote working arrangements. I never thought, I never knew just how much I missed coming in, having a routine. I'm a quite a structured person and I like to have a plan. I actually can't function without my Outlook calendar. I have my whole month up on a whiteboard so I know what's happening weeks in advance and then I have my Outlook calendar that itemises my whole day out and I colour coordinate them. So I have red as meetings, I'll have purple as follow-ups, green as tasks and that's just how I work. Um, So coming into an office where everything is here, it it allows me to be structured. I've tried the working from home. I don't think I'd ever do it again. It sounded so luxurious. I even thought, wow, when I get my house bus, I can work remotely forever. I don't think so. Yeah. Are you you applying that level of project and lucky management, sorting out the, the house and where you're going next and all that sort of stuff? Oh, definitely. So I, when we get home after we walk, uh, you know, and we're sitting down at the, the table at night, I actually plan what we're going to do the next day. And the big thing with that is I, t- I tell mum, we plan to be in Wairau for two hours. So it takes about an hour 45 with the roads to get there and say two hours and a two hours back. And I say to mum, mum, if we, we're only spending two hours in Wairau, because then we're not overwhelmed, we're not too tired, and it's just not too much because we still have to unpack it all. So that six-hour day is really eight hours, and then you've got to clean, you've got to cook, and so it's still a 10-hour day. So we have a two-hour plan, and I tell mum, this is what you're going to do in your two hours, and I have my plan. And you have to, otherwise it is just too much. It's just, yeah, it's a lot. It sounds like um, your superpowers are just being sharpened even more, lucky, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm more determined to um, to get through this paper. I, I, I know I keep coming back to year one, but that's sort of like my benchmark of where not to go and what not to do, year one, to procrastinate and put things off. But no, I'm, I'm definitely all in. Everything's going to be great. 
I think we have to. I think we have a responsibility to, and I think for me not to ask about it would be wrong. I really do think that I have to incorporate it in some way. Um, even if I go in with a set of questions and it just becomes about this, yeah. you know, and I have 50 questions, just for example, and I ask one and that's all they talk about, Perfect. I need to take what I need to take out of there and just allow them to do whatever they need to do at the, in their space. So feeling really positive, I, I really am. Um, I've seen, I, I've found a bit of my momentum that I had before. It's definitely come back, and I, I, I know that we're gonna, it's gonna be good. Mm. I'm, I'm really gonna be looking out for those leadership qualities you were referring to before. I haven't seen anyone that have been clear leaders in Wairau. Um, but I, I absolutely know that there will be, and usually leaders are ones that aren't heard or seen. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So um. And the importance yeah. of that that lady that was sitting at the back of the war memorial, but didn't leap up, but actually was the one that that was helpful. That's right, and it, it tells me as well. You, you don't need to blow your own trumpet. I mean, I've I've known that you don't need to blow your own trumpet. You just let your actions speak for your words, and I I like that that sort of leadership style. You know, whether that's something to do with me being the youngest of ten or whatever, I've, I've, no, I'm, I'm, I am quite an extrovert, but I'm shy as well. So yeah, you probably don't believe I'm shy, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, I am very, very shy. Yeah, but no, very happy, and thank you so much for this um, meeting, even though it wasn't really anything to do with my paper, but I know it was. Mm, um, it was. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was. But I thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Lucky. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. And um, if I do say so myself, go and enjoy the sun. (laughs) 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 You poor things. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You have a good day. Lucky.
You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic, Tipu Kenga. This is Kerry Gilbert, Wairoa. We broadcast on Tago Access Radio. Afternoons at 3 and streamed on podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook. This was a special edition of Blowing Bubbles with no Tahu or but we did have Ruth Myers joining me, Samuel Man in Dunedin. And we've been hearing from a beacon of hope from Lucky Hawkins, who's in Gisborne, was from Flood Affected Wayola. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.